everybody. It's Joey here and welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. So this is uh, my first episode as a presenter and I am totally loving being part of the team. However, if you are wondering where on earth Robbie is and you haven't been listening for the last few episodes, then please do go back to episode 56 where we explain all about that. But on to this episode where I am welcoming the wonderful Katie Harvey. You may remember from episode one that despite being told one day coaching would lead her to burnout, Katie discovered that actually the opposite is true and that coaching gives her energy. She's now into her third decade as a coach and she's carefully honed a practice that enriches her life and allows her to express her core values through her work. And in this episode of the Coach's Journey podcast, she explains how she did it. Katie reflects on how coaching has helped her to move beyond a binary view of the world in order to sit more comfortably with seemingly conflicting truths, such as life being both painful and beautiful, or people being both lovable and difficult. This is Katie's third time as a guest on the podcast, and together we unpack the story of the year since her first appearance, well over four years ago now, and her second, which came at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. Also, her work with individual clients and with leaders, and the coaching she delivers at CoachU and the London Business School, which we do delve into, we were really excited to hear that Katie is finally writing the book that she speaks about well back in that first episode. And she hopes this will bring her into more connection with the coaches that she works with, with coaches all over the coaching community, and really help them achieve a sense of integration. In this episode, we also talk about optimising energy for coaching by really paying attention to the four pillars of self-care. We also talk about supervision and listening partners and the tools and aids that help coaches de- develop space and time and improvements in their practice. We look at ways in which coaching is shaping the future in our educational spaces, something I'm really, really interested in. And also the love that runs through our work and the boundaries that allow us to work with love. We look at how to identify core values through the activities that express our very essence. Katie also generously shares the changes she has made to her pricing structure and the rationale that has helped her reach a place of comfort and fulfilment. It felt really appropriate to invite Katie as my first guest as a presenter on the podcast for reasons I explained during our conversation at the beginning. Um, and also having worked with her myself for a few years, I really relished this time to sit with her and find out more about her work, what makes her tick, what thoughts she could share with us all, her values, and her understanding of this craft we call coaching. And so I leave you to enjoy, hopefully you will, as much as I did, my conversation with Katie Harvey. Katie Harvey, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Hello, Joey. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Oh, you are most welcome. I was so excited to invite you and get a yes in that lovely audio note you sent me. It was fantastic. Of course. Um, so you are back here on the Coach's Journey podcast for a third time. And um, anyone who knows me a little bit knows I love the number three. So um, three is a magic number. I am very happy it's me interviewing you for the third time. Um, also, I noticed that on the end of the COVID podcast, uh, which was your episode, I think it was episode 11, um, Robbie invites you back for a third one, possibly time in the future. So here you are. And here you are as well in this new chapter of the Coach's Journey podcast, where you were right at the start of its first ever uh, beginnings and now you're here at the first ever beginnings of the the second chapter as it transitions to all of us here as the um the new presenters i do feel very privileged to have been beginning and then here at this new juncture and yeah i feel very lucky yes and at such a pivotal moment as well for so many coaches during lockdown where you were so useful that second episode is has so much in it actually now re-listening to it but at the time as well it was incredibly useful so yeah, thank you for saying that. That's lovely. We feel privileged as a community of coaches to have been able to relish listening to all of your wealth of experience and wisdom, Katie. As I shared earlier, I haven't listened to either of them again. I, I probably ought to have done in preparation for this. I apologies that I haven't, but I haven't. So I'm hopeful that there was anything of value and use. But Joey, you have told me that there was some good stuff in there. Hopefully there will be in this one again. Oh, seriously, great stuff. Katie, I know. I've I've spoken to other coaches who've listened to it. I know people in the community who've listened to it more than once, um, including me. I know coaches who've come to work with you because of it. Um, There's just so much in there. I highly recommend both episode one and episode 11, which, by the way, happen to have three ones in, which add up to three, which just makes this chapter three perfect, even more perfect. Even more perfect. Even more perfect. So um, usually... Each conversation in the coach's journey um, interviews have kind of three acts. And I think listeners who listen regularly will know that. And you may remember from episode one, the first act is about how you come into coaching. The second is about how you are a coach, what your practice is like, some practical things. And the third is kind of diving into things that might be useful um, for people who are listening, who are coaches. And um And, oh, another three. We are very lucky that this conversation, I very much hope, is going to be all about that third act, really kind of diving deeply today into something I'm really interested in as a coach, which is about how we, en masse and as individuals, really create value in the world. In fact, uh, we've touched on this many times, Katie, but I think from one of our conversations, I, I have a quote here somewhere in my notes, which I can't see. I think I can remember. It was about, you say, about by coaching, we are changing the world one call at a time. Oh, so did I really? <laughs> you did. You say some real gems, you know. You should listen. There's some good stuff in there you could you could learn from yourself. I might learn some. So, Katie, um, I think that might yeah. be a really nice place for us to start, really, for you to say more about that, about as coaches, how we create value, how we have positive impact on the world, one call at a time. It's funny I said one call because back in the day it was always, always calls and these days things have 
Trying a little more to zoom. Um, I very much hope that that's exactly what the coaching profession is doing, is making a very positive impact on the world. Uh, obviously, I can't see that with, or feel that necessarily other than the work that I personally do and the people I supervise do. But my hope and imagination is from the very first coach who have a feeling was Thomas Leonard, who's said to be the father of coaching over there in the States. I, I And now to thousands and thousands of coaches out there, I hope that we are bringing a number of things to the world. One of them is I hope that we're helping people listen to each other that bit more and recognize that having a listening space where you connect with another person is extremely powerful in our communities. Um, I am hoping that the, the idea of not giving someone advice always, but instead asking questions to help them find their own way through is empowering. And I hope that that is is a part of society that's really useful and particularly so in corporate life. I love that, that in the old days, of course, people was much more tell and train. And of course, there's a place for that. But I love that now coaching brings in this idea of ask and learn and reflect and grow through that reflection. Um, so I hope that all of those different elements of coaching are impacting society at large it would be a wonderful thing to be a part of that I'm interested that you said I hope I mean in episode one you had done over 14,000 hours coaching I know now you're past the I think I think you're around the 19,000 hours mark you say on, a, on another podcast I heard and I think it's a lot more now yeah and yet you're still saying I hope I'm I'd like to dig in on that I guess I mean the globe is huge and I I never like to claim massive sweeping statements about things that feel enormous. But I guess if I did say one call at a time, which I believe I did, then I do know that one call makes a difference. One session makes a difference to the world. And then if hundreds of thousands of coaches are having their sessions during the week. I guess, of course, that's making some positive change in the world. Whether it's a significant change in the world, that's the bit I guess I'm saying I hope it's a significant change. I'm so glad I asked that question, actually, Katie, because, because that's the, I think that's the kind of grounded, Katie, that we love, is to hear you say something like that, to accept that, or to recognise the reality uh, as we see it that's, that we are all manoeuvring our way through this this vast world. Of course, we can't make these grand sweeping statements, which I think, especially in the coaching industry, can be prevalent in a lots of in lots of outlets that we see. Um, and again, you brought up something that I'm sure we'll touch on on many times today, which is listening. It's it's such a huge part of what we do is holding a space. You just called it a, a listening space. Um, mm. So I wonder if we could dive more into that. And actually, I I did have a, a question as I when I was thinking about, well, when I was listening back actually to episode one, and also from the coaching that you and I do, Katie, you often bring beautiful stories from people that you're working with. Bearing in mind confidentiality, of course, which is something else we might touch on later. But listening so much and 
and hearing so much about other people's lives at such a deep level on a on a, that lovely listening space, especially you and I both do phone calls, not video calls like this. Um, we we really listen and we really have this wonderful then inkling and insight into somebody else's inner world. And I'm wondering if anything really stands out to you over all your years and, and vast hours of coaching, something you've re- some things that really stand out that you've learned yourself from the people that you're working with and the things that they've brought and changed and the positive change that you have cu- curated with them. That's a lovely question, Jerry. So uh, let me just check because I am a coach. Let me check I've heard it right. What have I learned over all these years from all the people that I've worked with and from the process of coaching and myself being a coach? Is that about right? Yeah. Are you as Katie Harvey as as a person? Yeah. Um, but also what what of all of that learning stands out? Because there must be tons, I'm guessing. So what there really is. stands out in that? I guess this answer would be different on different days and different chapters of my life. Uh, one thing at the moment that is huge for me, um, I say at the moment, it probably has been the last year or so, is the um, the duality of life. I think that's the right expression. I'll explain what I mean in case it's totally the wrong word. But it's the idea of both and. It's the idea of two things sitting together. It's the idea of a person being extremely difficult and annoying and irritating and also extremely wonderful and lovable and kind it's the idea of life being cruel and hard and painful and life being beautiful and precious it's the it's those two things always sitting together and that's something that keeps coming out and out of client work that I'm learning from the work that clients are doing with me and I I think a part of that is also um balance it's not exactly the same what I'm meaning but it is similar the the idea of most conversations it feels like sometimes the client will do the work that they're doing and a, a, a conclusion of that work will often be around finding a sense of balance between two things it's not an either or it is somewhere in that middle it is both and and it is finding their way to get the balance right rather than swinging the pendulum one way, swinging it another, it's finding that middle ground. And as a person that is pretty black and white myself, I can be quite binary. I used to be. It's this or this. I'm this or this. And coaching and my wonderful clients are teaching me more about that both and and that balance between things. So that's what is prevalent for me at the moment. Who knows in five years' time, or tomorrow? <laughs> I, things things do tend to change, don't they? And you don't know what you might hear tomorrow on a call. Oh, thanks! I'm really pleased I asked that question because that's also been, I think, really relevant in lots of areas of my life. Actually, funnily enough, Katie, as you will know, because uh, you and I have coached together, and you reminded me that um, that duality. There might be something in here that's useful for listeners to listen to because I know you recommended it to me and I found it very useful only just a a couple of months ago I think there's a Brené Brown podcast with Barack Obama that's right and they talk about this 
um, this concept of duality. I think that is just about the correct term. There's something really interesting about that that just keeps coming up at the moment in lots of spheres, and that might just be my uh, my old reticular activating system working well. But I see this interconnectedness. In fact, I talk about it in a, in the first, in, I think in episode fifty six about Indra's web. This idea of everything being utterly connected somehow, and not seeing uh, seeing ourselves as individuals separate from anything yeah. else. Because essentially we're learning that we're not, not at all. So that yeah. ability, that learning, that ability, and I'm so pleased that you have managed to evolve yourself, Katie. That's so lovely to hear um, that through this work, you've managed to evolve and change in a positive way to work out how to pilot a way of understanding these two separate things that exist apparently contradictory truly um but at the same time within us and within everything even but it, within individuals that we're working with within ourselves yeah exactly that it's um it's quite a relief uh as a learning and then sometimes it's quite hard too but it's it, yeah it's definitely been something that i really treasure and you're right that barack obama and Brené brown podcast is a really good uh description of it they talk about it for a chunk of that podcast and they do a really good job of yeah yeah they do and there's loads out there since that I've looked at um there's loads to listen to around that so we'll put um oh Katie I think you know this anyway but um because I said in our lovely in uh, we have a little chat before we record these podcasts and then and then we do a, a hello welcome to the coach's journey podcast but in the chat beforehand, which isn't in the recording, I said, I can't wait to say for the first time ever on the Coach's Journey podcast, I'll put that in the show notes, Katie. So listeners, <laughs> we will put that in the show notes so that you can now have a listen to that really, yeah, it's really interesting. And and Barack Obama, of course, brings his own kind of level of gravitas with it, um, balanced out beautifully with Brené Brown's kind of giggly, but very kind of uh, all that she brings, all that wealth as well. So it's a really good listen. Yeah, I would um, definitely highly recommend it. So if we go back to the creating value, I guess there's something also then in that what you've said about you evolving and changing and what stood out for you through all of these hours and hours and hours and hours of coaching is that you have also changed and been able to hold this concept and change yourself through it. And that in itself as coaches, and we talk about this whole mass, massive now community of coaches, many, many coaches, we're also all changing through that. So it's like this lovely yeah. organic, it, it, it slowly, slowly, everything's changing. I like to think of it almost like a, it's like the mycelium, you know, the coaches are all the mushrooms and underneath all this work is always going on with everybody who's been, who's been doing all this work and then all that other work. And it just kind of carries on doing its thing and evolving and growing. And yeah, let's hope it really can create a better world. One yeah. call at a time, Katie. Let's hope so. So thank you for bringing that that concept. Um, I think there's there's lots to dive into in this conversation, as we said about what we could offer, what you can offer that would be useful for listeners. And I've got um, a few kind of questions. I think that I could just put into this, but I'd love the conversation to to really flow. And um, and so before I just 
fire off questions for no apparent reason. There's one you said I could ask you. Um, actually, yeah, I'm going to do it now um, because I can see behind you and it might be relevant to coaching. There's this wonderful um, mountainscape for people who are listening and not watching the YouTube video. There's this beautiful photograph. And uh, especially for someone like me, who actually does quite a lot of work in the Himalayas, I love to be able to to see that behind you. And seeing as I usually talk to you on the phone, I've not seen it before. So um, when I asked you what it was about, you said, why don't you ask me in the recording? So I am asking you, why is there a beautiful uh, mountainscape behind you, Katie? Please tell us more. Well, this, Joey, is... Uh a picture of Patagonia. It is a, a park called Torres del Paine. And I climbed one of those mountains with my husband, who always seems to manage to get into one podcast or other that I do. Uh, he took that photo after we'd climbed it and we were just going home. And then he created that for me afterwards. And I, I always had it there, actually. And I was audio only at the beginning of coaching for the longest time and then started to do some zoom coaching sessions and suddenly realized oh this is quite useful to have behind me actually even though it had always been there partly because it's rather beautiful and I read the fact that nature calms a person's thinking even if they're just looking at nature not just that they have to be in nature even if they see a picture of nature it tends to calm a person's thoughts um, and system. And so I thought, well, that sounds good. And it's often a nice talking point. People ask about it and where it is. And uh, that's lovely. And it helps me remember a, a number of things. It helps me remember that I achieved something a long time ago because it was, um, and I am not a mountain climber. So it helps me remember that I did that. That's there. And it also helps me remember a lovely, happy time in the past. So it's got a number of purposes now been there but mostly yeah just really like the memory yeah I love that and I love it that you climbed a mountain and you don't usually do that sort of thing there's a reminder every day I um I have a beautiful painting also near my desk that is a, a rock in Cornwall that I trained very hard to swim out to and failed the first time it's like a 10k swim it was really hard work it's, it's a whole other story um but I have it there oh, as an anchoring. I mean, most coaches listening, I guess, will know what that is. But to, to anchor myself, to remember, never, ever give up. Because I went back and I I did it. And I'm not sure I can do it again. But it's a similar. I loved it when you said about climbing the mountain. And I also love it that your husband, yes, he does manage to get into every podcast you do. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, that reminds me that um, we put a question out to, to community members about um, uh, Joey will be interviewing Katie Harvey next week. And does anyone have a, a question they would like? And you just touching on on your husband there once again reminded me that actually, funnily enough, Robbie Swale, not sure if anyone here has heard of Robbie Swale, but um, he asked a question which I have uh, written down here about in that second podcast how did you manage to do the podcast when you were so poorly? And also your husband had been extremely almost hospitalised poorly with COVID, yet you were there still in service on a podcast, um, supporting and, and serving other coaches and helping them to do that changing the world one call at a time. I I don't remember very much of the podcast, it has to be said. Uh 
I'm not sure how I did it. I think the world was so bonkers at that moment. I mean, we all remember that. Um, and it was particularly crazy in my house because it was right at the beginning and we thought we had COVID, but of course there were no tests back then, so we couldn't actually tell if we had COVID. And we thought we might be being melodramatic about it, imagining that we actually had it, but then we did have it, turns out. And my husband was very, very ill, as you say, um, but I, and I think looking back, I think I was crazy to do the podcast. Uh, glad as I am that I did do it. But uh, I think probably what I should have been doing is lying down in bed and recovering. Um, but I, I kind of think I wanted a sense of normality and wanted to keep continuing doing what I love doing. And so I wanted to keep my commitment. I tend to like to keep commitments. So I wanted to keep that. But yeah, looking back. I was really quite poorly and in particular my husband was anyway I I don't regret it but yeah I do think that it was a bit bonkers that I did that but I'm very hopeful as you say that there was something useful in it because I think I was not quite in my normal mind <laughs> yeah and it was actually it's a shorter podcast it's an hour um which that helped I'm sure would have made it easier than um because we actually book out three hours for these calls as you you know um so it's it's a big ask for someone being interviewed on the podcast to to be focused for that long, even as coaches, when we often are focused for a long period of time. Um, but listening back now, actually, um, completely now beyond, although actually as we speak, my mother is recovering from a horrible bout of COVID, but um, we, yeah, but um, I think it's still a useful conversation to go back and listen to because there's lots in there, especially for me, about the the value that we create, the support that we can offer as coaches, what we could do at that really difficult time. And also what really interested me, Katie, was that you had such a, uh, uh, I really don't want to say finger on the pulse, it doesn't seem right, but that's kind of what I mean. You had a almost an insider view because you had been talking to people's inner worlds and listening to them in the build-up, in that really strange, uncertain time before lockdown, and then, and then into lockdown, I think you talked to Robbie about a month or two months in or so to that first lockdown when things were really scary and there wasn't much information around at all. Um, but it was so interesting to me to listen back and really get a, a con, a, a kind of a grasp on how much, as coaches, we do have an understanding of of what's going on. And underneath what's going on, uh, apparently, uh, you know, to what people usually see on the surface. And I'm wondering this, oh, there's, oh, I often hear Robbie on this podcast saying, oh, there's so many places we can jump off. And now I've got three bouncing off in my head and I know exactly why <laughs> he says that now. <laughs> um, so I think where I'll choose to go, actually, because it was, I think, from what I understand, and certainly in, in my sector of, of working in the charity sector, um, COVID and that period of time and the lockdowns and everything um, that came with it, which is just a, a huge multitude of change. Even now, I'm wondering, what do you feel as a coach who's had a much, you know, the longevity of experience you've had? Do you see that as a pivotal moment in the industry or do you see that as, as some uh, catalyst of change? What impact do you think it had on on coaches and our community of coaches in the UK and beyond across the globe? I'm not sure that I'm well informed enough to answer. I, But let me think if I have 
thoughts on it. I, I wish I had some kind of data, you see, to talk about what I think it might have done, but I'm not sure I do. What I do know is, I guess, that um, there were some incredible groups of coaches that got together to do voluntary work to offer coaching support let's say to the NHS frontline workers I I signed up to work with them and then got ill and then never did get back into it because I grappled with long COVID for quite a long time um, but that group did some incredible work with the NHS that I think might still continue today in some form or other and I think there was an awful lot of pro bono coaching work done that I heard of or knew of across the globe. And I would imagine that that must have done a really great job in helping people know coaching more, feel its benefit more. So I, I'm very glad for that and hopeful for that. I'll tell you a, a small thing that seemed to have changed in my coaching practice. And I wonder if other people's too, is that having talked before about being hundred percent audio only when I started and for 15 years or so, um, then I would say people started wanting video. They wanted Zoom coaching much, much more because they were used to communicating through Zoom. So they wanted coaching on Zoom. So that was interesting. That kind of changed things a little for me. But also now about a third of my practice walk as we have our coaching sessions and sometimes maybe a half even. That never happened, I would say, before coaching and before COVID. And then during COVID, people started to go on their daily walks and they'd often then take me with them because they had all their family at home. And so what I noticed was, ah, oh, these walking coaching sessions that they were walking, I was not, they're, people are more energetic, they're more resourceful, they're accessing greater creativity, let's say. This stuff is working. So I would often mention it to, I still do mention it to a client that it could be something they want to do. People then think, ah, oh, I could get some exercise have my coaching session have some privacy for some people and um and I really think it's it works as it were it's a really useful thing to do now it's up to every individual some people love lying in their bed and having their coaching call and that's totally up to them just I do notice that change too the visual and the walking coaching I know that's not a global impact but that's what I do know from my practice that those things have changed and and I don't think we need to worry about the the global impact necessarily because we've already kind of touched on it earlier on when we're talking about creating value and and you've said it yourself. I'm going to say for a third time your quote. You know, one call at a time, changing the world one call at a time. So I think the, those are those small evolutions are going to have a um, a connected on mass impact and. And isn't it interesting what you said about nature earlier when you were talking about the photograph behind you and that positivity, that that kind of somehow relaxation or bringing about more creativity. I know I've read uh, studies, uh, another coach who used to be a member of this community, actually, Ken Brewer, and he, he um, told us, and I'll try and find a link for the show notes, about um, how the the different shapes in nature that we see in our eyes yeah. different to the straight uh, building structures yeah. in cities when we move out and we look at a tree or we look at the the waves on the ocean or um, it can actually have an impact on the way our brains are working and the way we think and the way we feel and our physiology and everything not to mention all the other research out there about why nature is so good for us. So that's really yeah. interesting that something that actually locked us down and kept us inside, you're saying took more people outside for that listening space, for the, for yeah. the 
the, the coaching sure spaces that we hold. That's really lovely. And you saying a third of your practice rang a little bell for me as well. On um, In episode one, you talk about your practice also as it very much is made up of a third on the phone as a, a private one-to-one practice as a coach and then a third um I think you said at the London Business School which I'd love to explore more and I know um Robbie's also asked me to to talk to you about that if we have time today and I think we will and then the other third was working in the with organizations and in the corporate sector and I think part of that also was was your pro bono work that you do in the charity sector um which obviously I too am very interested in because of, of where I work um is that still the same? What are we now? Five years since episode one. Is that still? Yeah, 2019 it was. I'm pretty sure I should do yeah. that. I'm pretty sure it was November 2019, Katie. And I'm not sure when Robbie recorded it with you. So it's five years ago. Things must have changed a little. Um, I'm, Those ratios do shift, but largely that is actually still the same. That, yeah, it's... um. Slightly different to that, but not really. So about a third is individuals hire me privately to work on, as I said before, it's still the same. They work on anything under the sun. So there's never been a niche and there still isn't a niche. So that's in that third where individuals foot the bill and work with me one on one. Then there's another third, which is the corporate work where the corporate foots the bill. That it, The ratio sometimes varies. At the moment, I'm doing uh, probably a little more corporate work than normal. Um but they put the bill on. I work with leaders. But again, there is no niche to that, because even though the topic could be around leadership in their career, it's not always at all. It's just the difference really is that there's the corporate footing the bill for that. And the context is often more corporate work. Then the final third is where I work back within coaching. And that um, could be working and teaching at Coach U, Um or it could be at London Business School, for example. I still work there now. Um, and working with new coaches, growing as coaches, learning their practice, building their practices. I, I kind of count all of that in that final third as well. As I get older, uh, I imagine that what I will do is work more in the coaching arena and that will spread. I always want to be coaching and probably always majority coaching because I believe that's really vital when you're working with coaches to come from that place of live coaching. But I do love working in the in the coaching arena, so I can imagine myself doing more and more of that um, as as I get older. And I'm writing a book, uh, and I hope that that book. And if I ever finish that book, I'm hoping that the book will then lead to more work and more conversation with other coaches. Yeah. And in episode one, Katie, you talk about the possibility. You know, I've always wanted to write a book. And then oh. actually, when it comes to it, you talk about people can go back and listen. And I'm not sure I've remembered exactly right. But um, you say you're sure when the boys get a bit older and you have a bit more other time. Perhaps that's something you'll do on the other thing you talk about, which is so exciting, is um, which I really hope might come out of the book as well. Um, it's um, it's so good to hear you're you're doing that because I'm sure it will fly off the shelves. Um, and these podcasts can go hand in hand with it. We'll be we'll be putting it in every show notes. Um, but also you you wanted to do this idea of, of a conference bringing together. Um, I think I might have this wrong. I listened, but. 
the, I think you call it normal coaches, you know, just everyday coaches coming together. And um, we do this in, in our work um, in Nepal with Freedom to Learn. It's, it's normal teachers or uh, people working in the sector, coaches, facilitators, trainers, normal people coming together and doing a almost like a knowledge exchange. It's not really networking. It's, it's about sharing things that are useful for each other and also supporting yeah. each other because we have similar experiences and and I wondered I wanted to ask you and I'd actually forgotten so I'm glad you brought up the book um is that something that you're still looking into possibly doing or have been um putting out some feelers is there anything happening there uh, well there's nothing happening it's still something that I love the idea of I was really keen back then four or five years ago and then COVID happened of course so oh, both yes. people weren't getting together physically but also I was poorly for quite a long time so it totally went off the radar but it is now it's in my mind a lot because I still love the idea as just as you said getting everyday coaches as I think of myself uh, together and for that very purpose of supporting each other and sharing best practice sharing ideas um, I would love to do that I'd love to be in it and I'd love to host it the tricky thing is is that to make the space to do that um would mean not coaching or supervising or teaching coaching uh I would need to actively say no to the work that I love doing and that yeah it hasn't I I haven't wanted to do the group the, the, the symposium as I think I thought of it I haven't yet wanted to do that more than I want to do the coaching and I'm in a very fortunate position to have the full practice to allow that so I always tell myself if anything ever goes quiet if if there if my referrals go a bit quiet or drop off then I'll definitely know what I'll do with that time because I'll go and do this thing it's just that that never has yet happened yes um, and that is the same you say that in episode one, almost exactly that, which really does show me just, you know, Katie, you're you're this kind of, um, I almost want to say soft place to land for coaches. There's this continuity and this consistency, this groundedness that you bring of you've just, you've, you've found your, your way as a coach. You found this really comfortable place to be and something that really energizes you, um, which is actually just coaching and I found yeah. that I think I might talk about it in my interview and I know you and I have talked about this before but as coaches I mean you talked about your learning and growth earlier on in this conversation but I find coaching incredibly steadying you find coaching I think from what you said in episode one very energizing and enlivening and um and just how wonderful is it that you've been coaching since I think you say in episode one since 2001 which 2002 um, we won't worry too much about dates we're talking about more than two decades that here you are still saying and saying at different intervals throughout that time actually what I love doing is coaching yeah it still is and although I've got these great ideas this is what I want to do it's it's true that I I still pinch myself to think have I not I, I remember interviewing a coach back at the beginning when I was figuring out whether I wanted to do uh, this and then I found as many as I could which was about four and uh, especially in the UK and one of them that I interviewed I asked about it and he said one thing I want you to think about is you will burn out 
this you will run out of love for it because it's it's intense it's brilliant but it has a shelf life as a profession as a career for yourself and um I remember where I was sitting when he said that and I remember thinking whoa I I don't I don't want to invest in something that has a shelf life that I'll burn out from but um so it worried me and I thought about it and then I I still went forward because I couldn't let it go um but he has not yet been right that mm. kind gentleman who gave me his time because I I feel like I love it more now than I did well I I know I love it more now than I did back then because I feel more comfortable with coaching I feel um that I am working with clients that that work best with me now uh so yeah I I'm still as much in love with it but definitely more in love with it than I was back then and certainly not burnt out from it still find it very energizing and also very steadying as you say I find it both those things basically it's incredibly healthy for me and my life and I get paid for it I think that's that's amazing yeah the ideal scenario you also say and I don't I want to be careful that we don't um repeat ourselves from from episode one you don't say too much that you said then but Neil McKinnon actually asked when knowing I was going to interview you he was really interested in the energy that you have from coaching because in episode one um and I went back specifically because Neil asked the question to check what you said and I think I understood that you were saying that that kind of monthly cycle that you do three weeks coaching every week you would coach uh, with your one-to-one um coachee or, or client thinker the, the person you're working with then you have a break week and also yeah. the fact that you have variety because as you've although the corporate work is often the the one-to-one work as well you have your one-to-one practice with you know as a generalized with your generalized population um, coming in to coach on, on all sorts of different topics. But you also have the the London Business School, which don't worry, Robbie, we will dive into at some point um, soon. Um, and that that gives you energy. And I wondered, li- listening to Neil's question, which is how has it changed from when, you know, your first 500 hours to now what sounds like you might be moving past the 20,000 mark, actually. Well, I thought you were at 19. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal amount of coaching. He would, there's two questions here. He would like to know if, if and how your energy levels have evolved as a coach throughout that time. Let's start there. Let's do that one. I won't ask you two questions at the same time. Compound questions. Well done. Um, So I love that question, Neil. Thank you very, very much. Um, Because I think about it a lot about my energy levels. So So they have, one thing to talk about is that they've changed. So coaching gives me energy, that is for sure. That actually hasn't changed, I don't think at all. What has changed is um, my my timings. So it turns out that I have much more energy in the morning than I do in the evening. And I used to work until 10 o'clock at night. I used to, that was my, my last coaching session would be nine till 10. And I can't do that anymore that I don't my brain and energy don't work I don't seem to get the energy from coaching that I do at any other point at that time so uh, I don't do that nine till ten slot and I do still work eight till nine but I only do that two evenings a week now whereas I used to do four evenings a week 
So I am noticing as I'm getting older that my energy is shifting in terms of the time of the day that I enjoy working. Uh, And if I get that right, then the coaching gives me exactly the same energy as it always did. If I get that wrong, as in too late in the evening or too many evenings, that's when I find it doesn't anymore. So I've learned to really listen to that and adjust my practice accordingly. And when I get that right, as I say, it's fantastic. And the second thing to say is I when I got to maybe, yeah, maybe around the time of the first podcast, I really decided that I wanted to take my coaching to another level. Like I wanted to, I, I'm always, I hope, learning and growing. But I really felt I wanted to make a bit of a step change. And what the way I felt I could do that best was to look at um, my energy in terms of my self-care. And so I really worked at uh, sleep and I really worked to exercise and nutrition and in particular rest which uh, was the the pillar because if those four are the pillars of self-care as they're known uh, nutrition exercise sleep and rest of those four pillars rest was the hardest one for me to relate to uh, but I looked at all of those and really optimized as much as I could and I still do as much as I can optimize my practices my behaviors in those areas to see whether there was more energy and more I could bring to my coaching and that has made a real difference and I still work on all of them but in particular the rest one which was not so natural for me five years ago but I'm getting better and better at it so I am optimizing my energy through great practice in those four areas I'd say Oh, I really love that answer because it really lends itself to another area we could we could talk about, which is about as coaches, you know, our levels of energy and our self-care and how we are is such a vital element of how we can serve the people we're working with. I agree. And we're partnering with in 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 coaching. Um so yeah, thank you, Neil, for asking that question. Um, I'm wondering if that's where we can head because you were talking about a listening space earlier on in in the call and then you were just talking also about listening to yourself and I'm wondering there about that that noticing and that slowing down I mean how do you I think I'm interested actually in how do you find the space because you've got a full practice um, you've got these three areas of work. Um, you're, by all intents and pers- purposes, it seems to me a very busy coach. You know, I know how you coach back to back with you know the hours that you do, albeit what you've just said about that changing ever so slightly uh, and evolving as you've listened and noticed. But where do you find the space and the time to really listen to yourself and notice what's going on for you, and to well, essentially practice what you preach as a coach, I guess. Uh, dog walks. I have a a barky dog, uh, as a lot of my clients will know, because he barks mainly when anyone (laughs) comes to the door. Um, dog walks. I actually got a dog partly because I wanted to experience owning a dog and the love of a dog, but I also got a dog because I knew it would force me to walk and I knew it would force me to have time on my own and time moving and time for rest. Because really, for me, a dog walk is quite. So uh, it was a strategic move 
to help me be the best person I could be and best coach I could be in in a lot of ways. And it has been just what I hoped. So walking the dog every day forces that time to check in with myself and listen to myself. And obviously, though, I say obviously, there are other times during the day that I'll do that too. But definitely that regular dog walk is a chance to check in. Um, and I do sometimes actually talk to myself uh, because I do it so early in the morning out on the downs here in Brighton. And um, so it doesn't really matter if I'm talking out loud, but I can actually have a conversation with myself out loud in the pitch black because it is at the moment in the winter. And um, and I hope no one else hears around me, but it is a chance to check in and listen. So great question. Yeah. And you're just, um, well, first of all, I want to say uh, that saying of, you know, talking to yourself is the first sign of madness is, I think we need to completely flip it. I think it shows real good sanity. Um, and I do exactly like you here in Limington. I walk, I'm, I'm currently, as you can see, and I hope we're all right for signal and that the sound has been good. Thank you for putting up with any creaking. And as the boat I am currently living on moves around, um, but I also walk here on the seawall and find myself as well, talking a lot to myself, which I think, don't worry, Katie, it's much more acceptable now, I think. You know how people have headphones and have um, calls yeah, as they're walking along and it looks like they're just talking to themselves. Well, you can just kind of pretend that that's what you're doing. That's what I do now. Um, although I've just totally blown my cover. We might have to edit that bit. <laughs> um, but um, but um, walks is wonderful and again that brings in a lovely thread we we have here of of nature that seems to be coming into this call um for coaches out there that don't have a dog or perhaps live in a, a really uh highly populated dense city scape um don't have nature to walk in necessarily or maybe don't feel they have the time they can't go for a walk they've got a way too big a, a list of things to do maybe not just for coaches but for people in general people that you work with um, although you're not a coach, uh, not a, a coach that gives advice, of course, as a coach, I'm wondering um, if there is any advice in this setting of podcast that you might have for listeners about other ways that you would recommend that they could actually carve that time out and create that time to notice and be okay as themselves to then do their job better, essentially, to do it well and all the knock on effects that that brings. Well, I it's funny, my first reaction is to think um, advice. I'm not sure I that I've had to work so hard on this for myself. Uh, but then I do think I, I go past that. It's just because we are so trained, aren't we? Yes. And as soon as I found myself going to say, I, I can't say that on a podcast. Like, advice? advice? We don't want to. But you have advice, Katie Harvey. Um, so... But I, but I actually do have some thoughts on it to share for what they're worth, and that is that I, I believe supervision is an extremely healthy thing for coaches to engage in uh, at their own pace, of course, at their own frequency, and with a supervisor that feels a good connect, a great connection for them. I believe that that can be a space for some coaches to check in with how they're feeling, how they're doing, how coaching is going for them, what their next area of growth is within their coaching. So for some people who struggle to do that checking in with themselves alone, having a partner in that as a supervisor, for example, is a really 
great and important idea. And that's aside from all the other great things a supervisor can do with a coach around their client cases. And but I mean, in particular, for checking in with with how they are um, or having a coach, I guess, doesn't need to be a supervisor. Uh, a lot of people these days are having listening partners. I really like that idea. Uh, having setting up a I mean, in the olden days, I'm sure it would have been more of a friendship type thing or someone that you'd meet down the road in the community or something. But uh, these days we we label things and formalise them as listening partners. But I do really love the idea. And some of my, one of my clients in particular I'm thinking of at the moment has a listening partner that she connects with every week. And their purpose is to check in and say, how are you? What's going on for you? How is your energy? How's your well-being? And so they check in, they give each other space to um without having to pay each other or have any particular goal or boundary around it other than being listening partners I really like that idea I think that's great of course some people love journaling I'm not a journaler um or not at this stage anyway I guess I did used to a bit but some people really love that dialogue with themselves through writing and checking in with themselves and sometimes that can be after client sessions I know some clients some coaches really enjoy writing reflections after each session to think how am I how was I in that space and and checking in so those are some things that I see work for other people yeah thank you and how much better to say a thoughts to share um instead of advice um I loved that reframe um the listening partners I have heard about I haven't um I haven't done anything along those lines myself, although, of course, we have friends. But I think if they're not in the the same kind of sphere of thinking as we are as coaches, sometimes mm-hmm. the idea of listening is it's a different it's a different type of conversation. We all kind of, of know about that. But I just heard you talk about that. And I thought that really feeds nicely into the the idea of creating value in the world. Because I think what you said about, you know, you don't have to give any resources other than your time for each other. There's no no payment. And I wonder if there hadn't been what I perceive to be, and I may be wrong, but this real explosion in the, the coaching industry, which is, I know you said you haven't done the research, you haven't exactly got all the stats, but I wouldn't be surprised if actually during that time of COVID, um, there was so much happening online that it really opened loads of doors for coaches and also for people to hear about coaching and therefore become interested in coaching and, and this kind of knock-on effect. And it become it's really blossomed and bloomed and it's so wonderful that it's so available to so many people but also it doesn't need to be and now I'm saying this I think you may have touched on this in the first conversation with Robbie but it doesn't need to be this kind of uh you know uh, I'm a coach and I charge 250 pounds an hour because now there's so much work around actually we can we can make coaching loads more accessible and the concept the mindset whatever comes with coaching of how we listen how we hold a space how we are with somebody next to us or on the phone with us or in our vicinity or in our community even or at meetings or whatever it is but actually all of these things that coaches bring we're normalizing we're normalizing having a, a listening partner i mean how magical is that to no, to great. be in England, you know, as as we kind of are traditionally in our society, to be able to say things like we have a listening partner is yeah yeah to me is so it's I think it's 
heartwarming is the term. It's like it's becoming it's becoming just normal, just okay, acceptable, accessible. And it's it's a lovely way for us all to exist together. And it's helping people. Yeah. And because more people are then experiencing listening spaces more people are interested in what that can do, what change that can bring about, and also what they're able to create because they've got that space, which they hadn't realised was so important before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. I love it. And and I love the... I don't necessarily love what's brought it there in the sense that having extended periods of time with each other where we listen solidly is that bit more unusual for people I don't always love that because our lives are at such a pace uh where people can spend months and months and months without seeing a friend because they're just busy 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 with everything they've got going and then if they do see a friend it has to be shorter um yeah I don't love that but I do love that things spring up to take the place to so that other people are getting access to reflective space it's so important for mental health is to have reflective space or listening space for sure yeah I think there'll be lots of people listening and me included who could not agree more I think you said at the Mm. beginning you know about ask learn reflect to really be open to all of that as a as a normalized that's what we all are and I guess that also brings me to the thinking about bringing that into learning spaces especially for someone like me who works so much in the education sector and even places like I imagine and we will come to it Robbie the London Business School I mean that's an educational setting at universities when you're saying how important it is for mental health I know we started talking about this because of coaches but we we are part of an industry of course that you know there's the the therapeutic it's um the therapeutic spaces, the coaching spaces, um, those community development spaces that are really emerging now. I'm wondering if you have any ideas or if you've come across anything that's really working and and helping people in educational settings so that we have young people learning and evolving in a different way to them they may have done 15 years ago, say. I'm thinking about things like mindfulness in schools, um, that type of thing. I wonder if you've come across anything in a learning space or industry. Oh yeah, I, I'm used a lot in schools. Actually, I'm really I'm lucky that I have been um, because I think education is obviously just so important, and I think I recognise it even more having three children of my own going through the education system. I started doing. Um, this was pre-COVID, I started doing coaching clinics in schools where I would offer a day about every term to a school, Uh, a few schools I did this with, and teachers could sign up to have sessions with me, Um, just a one-off session, so not something that would go on, but just a one-off session with me, and um, they could book in if they wanted to and they didn't have to, and they were really, really powerful sessions um as sometimes a standalone session can be with a complete stranger uh that you never meet again but they were really great what i that gave me an insight into the education system in a way that i hadn't seen other than as a parent and then i started working with a lot of head teachers for a while who were referring me to other head teachers and then one school in particular brought me in to work with the senior leadership team and so 
over the last maybe five years, I have been doing a lot more work in education. And I am no expert on this. But what I do see is that um, a coaching approach and one one school calls it a coaching culture that they are trying to develop in that school. It does seem to be that the idea of helping each other learn and grow, both helping the children learn through finding things out themselves rather than teaching by rote, of course, in the back in the millions of years ago. Um, so helping them, but also teachers helping each other learn and supervising each other with questioning and coaching as opposed to teaching and training. It, it feels like education is absolutely adopting this coaching approach, both with children and with adults, as I say. I'm no expert to talk about the education system, but having now been involved in quite a lot as a coach, I love what I see. And I love, oh yeah, I was brought in, for example, to um, teach a bunch of tutors in a school who had tutor relationships with the children um, to help them understand how to run those tutor sessions in a coach-like way. So I was brought in to teach them that. So there's a real embracing from what I've seen of our way of our philosophy as coaches, our way of working with people in the education system, which I think is great. Oh, Katie, I can't tell you how delicious it was to listen to that. I can't believe that we have been working together all this time and we haven't talked about that. Um, uh, I've done some work with teachers as well in the UK and and with lots of teachers in Nepal. Um, and that you're right, I think the one-off sessions in it, my experience is is with coaches who are, uh, sorry, teachers who are, I think, sometimes heading towards burnout almost, really massively stressed with a heavy, huge workload, but massive, shining hearts who are in that yeah. job because they're at, they absolutely need to be. And it, it, they're doing, a you know, something that is in such service to our schools full of children who need that care and support. So for me, coaching feels like, a massively should be a massively integral part of any school community so you talking about it in already you were talking about it um, a hugely experienced uh, dare i say veteran a coach veteran you're um, you're you're talking about it in a normalized way that this is something that that happens that is being adopted you've got schools talking about co coaching cultures that's wonderful. It's not real. I know head teachers in the in the schools I've worked in are working with coaches. I know I've worked with the teachers. Um, it's gradually creeping in. So that was really good to hear, Katie. And I would I'd love to um, delve into that. I'm not sure that it would be all that interesting for, for listeners always um, if we specify on schools only schools. But I think what I'm really interested in is the work that you've done in those schools then with the teachers so far. And there's this uh, coaching culture in amongst all the staff and the teaching staff and the caring staff. Has that then, do you think, had some kind of um, trickling down or do you even, I mean, some of the work I do in Nepal, I'm, I'm actually teaching, I guess, teaching, in fact, coaching skills then in some of our workshops that are then taken into um, into class, reflective inquiry, asking the right questions, holding a space, listening. Um, I'm wondering if you've seen any of that yet in schools here in the UK. I, c I couldn't say. I know that some head teachers have told me 
that the work we and they have done on building a coaching culture um, has trickled down into classrooms and therefore they feel benefited students. But I don't feel that I could say how it's benefiting the children, but I really hope it does. And I can imagine logically that it would have an impact having a coaching culture amongst the staff and support staff. So, yeah, I really hope so. And I guess some head teachers have told me so, which is excellent. Um, yeah, one would, but one would imagine it would go that way. It would have to, if we're going to believe yeah. with some faith in the interconnectedness of all things. Um, that the teachers have a space to feel calmer, happier, understand more about themselves. That's going to be then, that's going to show up in different ways in their work, in every area of their life, you would hope, like with everybody that we work with. So I'm wondering then, I don't, I think then, thinking about, again, creating value at a a kind of a societal level, um, and certainly in school communities, if we're talking about that in terms of working with children, because children are the future, I'm sure that's a great line to a song somewhere. I can't think who sung it, but um, they are where the change is. The really um, integrated, solid change happens, isn't it? That sustainable change. And also they're where most of the imagination and fun and creativity is. And I'm really thinking more myself about, I'm sure there's something in this, really bringing coaching into classrooms and how we might do that. Is there anything so far on your work in schools? I know you said you you can't really comment on the classrooms, but maybe right now putting you on the spot Katie do you have any ideas around that around how coaches maybe perhaps it would start off as volunteers but how we could take our skills into classrooms and bring about change in any way they're bringing all the coaching skills that we have Mm. you said something Katie about um the more comfortable that you are in your own skin then the easier it is to relate to your client or the world and and to operate in your life. You said something along those lines in episode one. And I think if we could find a way to really support children to feel that, to bring them back to themselves and know how important that is right at the start, right from when they are a child and they are developing and forming, how beneficial that would be to our communities. So if you have any ideas around that, bringing our coaching skills to do that into schools, that would be wonderful. I'm remembering that many, many years ago, as I started coaching and started learning about just what I said about being comfortable in our own skin. Actually, and I'm just going to go off on a slight tangent because you see, for me, I probably said this years ago because it still remains true for me now that I guess if there's one thing that I've learned from coaching over that underpins all of it, it is that. Uh, what coaching I feel does at its core is help people in their relationship with themselves. It helps people accept who they are, understand who they are and connect with who they are. And coaching others has helped me do that for myself and helped me learn to know who I am and like who I am and celebrate and cherish that. And I know that the work that I do, regardless of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about a career change or setting up a business or getting a new promotion, I believe what sits underneath that is a sense of integration and and celebration and connection with oneself. So 
donkey's years ago when I started realizing, ah, that's what coaching's doing for me and for my clients, helping us know ourselves and love ourselves. Um, me and my best friend, who is a teacher, primary teacher, we talked about uh, setting up workshops that kind of on that theme of helping a, a child know who they are and learn to really accept and love who they are, um, which children tend to do an awful lot better than we do as adults, of course, but some find that challenging. Uh, so we talked about doing that, bringing workshops into the classroom and we got busy and we never did it. Uh, what I would say, though, to answer you is I, I have so many friends who are teachers and I think that they are doing a wonderful, wonderful job bringing all the stuff that we do really and more as teachers into the classroom. My personal position on it is, is that as coaches, I feel that where we can offer value is more to the teachers themselves than to the students, the children. I think I trust in the teachers doing a wonderful job with them. And I do feel that by offering coaching clinics to teachers, whereby they do have a listening space, hopefully frequently, maybe just once a term, but by doing that and with working with the leadership team and the senior leaders so that they do have an external space where they can talk and think and think strategically. And that's where I feel our main value is for the education system personally. Oh, there's so much in there. That's so much food for thought. Thank you very much, Katie. I'm so glad I asked. Um, well, we could move upwards, I guess, from that. And that is into another education setting, which is the the London Business School and all of your work that you do there. And you've worked there for a very long time. I'm sure you'll say how long in a moment. Um, Robbie's interested really in how you got into that, um, what you do. I, I know you do some supervision there, how it works. And maybe we could just get a little practical for a while because I'm thinking, I'm like really hell-bent on thinking about creating value and, and positive impact. But actually for the listeners, it may be really useful to just understand how that fits into your practice, how it came about, um, what you've learned from it uh, and anything else you'd care to share really about your experience working there. Oh, I feel very, very lucky to work there. It's been a real privilege. I really enjoy the work. Um, so I think I've worked there for five years. I get, I think it might be six. I can't remember, um, but five, let's say. And I, and I, I got the work through a connection of mine through another coach. Um, it's interesting how much work as a coach can come through other coaches that we know. Um, I do recommend to coaches that I'm working with that are just starting out and thinking about how to build a practice. I recommend connecting and making friends with as many coaches as they want to and they can, because that is often a, a great way of finding clients that you really want to work with. It, you wouldn't always think so. I sometimes have new coaches tell me that, but surely we're in competition with each other. Like they've got their people, they're trying, they're trying to find clients too. And but actually it tends to work the opposite way is that people coaches are talking about coaching a lot but maybe there's someone who works with them that's too close for them and um and so they need to refer on to another coach and that's what happened in this case is that a colleague of mine was coaching was doing the role at London Business School of supervisor and um and trainer and then she needed to move on and so she asked me if I would um take that role on so what I do is I um what I used to do is I used to supervise 
the coaches at London Business School. And I'll explain that a bit. So, of course, London Business School teaches lots of students. And then as part of their offering, because it's an incredible institution that offers an enormous amount to their students, they have internal coaches who are paid by the London Business School to just coach their students. And there's a good group of those. I should know how many, but let's say 23, maybe 30. Um, They are wonderful people and they are highly qualified coaches and they uh, want to be supported and London Business School support them by offering them regular coach supervision to bring their student cases to and also support them with CPD with training with continuous professional development and at the beginning I was asked to do both of those I was asked to come and teach them things and then hold the supervisionary space as groups with them and I did both of those two things for I think four years no three years and then kind of felt like I may have run out of things that I wanted to teach so I said to them that I felt like maybe it was not it's not so much I'd run out it's more that I felt like they could do with a another person teaching them they they heard a lot of me and my way of coaching and I felt like maybe it was time to bring a new flavor of coaching in so um so they did that with the CPD with the training but then they upped my supervision so now I just do supervision as it were with them and I go in for a day and I supervise small groups of let's say seven coaches at a time and they bring their just as I do in other group supervision settings People bring their client cases and their case student cases, and we as a group explore that together with the purpose of growth, as I always say to them. Our purpose for being here today is to all grow as coaches together. So we do that. And what what I get out of it, other than, of course, a lot of stimulating conversation that helps me to grow as a coach, but I kind of feel like I have colleagues. I always make them laugh with this because we know as coaches that work one-to-one especially from our home often audio only uh it can feel sometimes a little lonely on the colleague front and so uh I really enjoy going there and chatting with all of them and seeing how they're doing and and I say that it feels a little bit like having an office and they joke because to me they are each other's colleagues and I am nothing <laughs> I'm someone that they just see every once in a while so that I don't think they understand it at all but for me I really like going in and feeling part of a community there um I care about them all very much so uh it's it's been a real blessing I hope it continues I think it will continue as long as there's a budget for it but budgetary change in all the time so fingers crossed oh there there are a lot there's lots in there first of all the the connecting, I guess that brings us to the 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 kind of the prosperous coach approach. Really, keep talking about coaching, connect with other, well, connect with people, keep connecting, and um, and things will emerge. You know, it sounds as if it was serendipitous um, how you came across the role or how how you started there, but actually it wasn't. It was your input and your connections and your warmth and and the way you communicate, and um, and I loved that. I love what came from that. That's a really good story and a nice thing to hear as a coach because um, it's it's nice to have faith and trust that things will emerge when they need to. And it's been this lovely, steady, steady um, position for you. And also it's given you, uh, in inverted commas, an office, you said, you know, somewhere to go into. And that's so true. Um, I've done some, I've done group workshops locally and abroad actually and when you're doing them more regularly it's so lovely to go in and sit in a circle I don't know that you do that specifically 
but to sit with other people in person and all of the stuff that in person works work brings. But you especially, Katie, Katie, as a coach, you're um, you're talking about growth altogether. We are here as coaches to grow. And it was as if, you know, you're one of those coaches and you're growing oh, through that too. And I love that. And um yeah, thank you. Well I hope that answers enough for Robbie. Is there anything else you think that might be helpful or interesting? I mean, Robbie actually said he's fascinated by how you got this role and that you've continued to do this work and what's come of it. So um, is there anything else that you'd like to say about your work there? I could go on for ages about how great the coaches are there and the great service that they provide to their students and so much interesting stuff. But I don't think there's anything in particular that Robbie or anyone else might want to hear about it other than that it's been really, really fun and nice to do some person work, which is also something I don't tend to do very often. But with them, yeah, I'm actually sitting in a room with them. It feels really lovely. And fun is so important in coaching, I find. And Katie, you and yeah. I, we've done so well because we were both a little like, we're going to really like, we might get a bit too giggly or be a bit too silly <laughs> in our conversation today. Have we done well? We're being very serious. <laughs> we sound so pro, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, so it's really nice that you mentioned about fun. And I honestly think it says a lot about you that the, when I asked you about anything else, you actually drew out just how fun and wonderful and lovely and interesting the people are that you work with and I think that's yeah. such a beautiful thing that I find in, in coaching is that lots of us really feel like that about a lot of people we easily see that in people and that's really lovely that's really lovely to you say that yeah so um yeah thinking about Katie as being a bit silly and giggling and bringing fun into coaching I actually had a, a question around this because there's like um I mean from my other work thinking about um working in the in the charity sector and in organizations and in anything i guess that this could be talked about as safeguarding i guess or, or risk assessment but there's also this where's the kind of the balance sometime where you go from from coaching into friendship or, or either they kind of they they i don't think people will watch this they're listening but i'm doing funny things with my hands to kind of show them all you know there's lots of threads that kind of overlap and and I'm really curious about about what this is, and actually, oh, to bring your husband once again back into our podcast. Um, I think he, I think it was him you said who said about rent a friend. <laughs> I really, I've always loved that. I, I, I kind of, yeah, and and I'm also thinking about what I say. You know, I've talked in my interview, which I think comes out just before this one, Katie. You know, when I um. I talk about the current transition I'm in and actually the importance of having a, a, a what I call a paid family. You know, I have a, two coaches and I work with a, a therapist and that's been enormously like beneficial. But also I call, I say family, you know, it's like um, sometimes these are such long term, really intricate, interesting, complex relationships. And I have also found the same, you know, I've worked with clients some of them, for, well, actually, one I'm thinking of now, nearly for three years, you know, and and the same mm. with you and I, even actually the other way around. You as coach, I'm wondering, it might be useful for us to talk about this. Where do we? Oh, now and now I'm thinking about what we said about listening partners as well, and this this whole kind of change of 
culture in our English community and how things are changing and emerging and evolving everywhere and how we feed into that as coaches and how we contribute to that. And somehow, to me, that friendship coaching balance seems kind of part of that as well. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, because there are businesses you can work at. You know, if I'm working in an organisation, there's very clear guidelines Obviously, schools, very clear guidelines. Working with teachers actually have very clear guidelines. But outside of that, in a private practice, I think I've said enough now and I don't have a specific question. I think I'd just like to know what your thoughts are on that. And if, yeah, if you have anything useful for us that you might want to share. Well, yeah, I've definitely got thoughts around this. Um I'm going to go back to what you were talking about at the beginning, really, which is like uh, the coaching relationship. Like what is it, what makes it different to a friendship and how do you make sure that it is different? And um, so I have two thoughts around it. And one is that um, I feel like it is all love or as Carl Rogers would have called it, unconditional positive regard to make it maybe sound more palatable. Uh, But for me, I feel like it is love between two people, connection, trust, warm, positive regard, I safety in that space, wanting the best for the person. That I feel is at the crux of the relationship between the coach and the coachee and probably between the friend and the friend and the parent and the child or the in those relationships. When they're healthy, there's love probably when they're not healthy, there's still love. The thing that then, so that is what's in common and why I sometimes feel that it can be hard to distinguish, well, this feels like a friendship and this feels like family or this, you know me better than everyone else in my life. And that's strange. I I think that's because it's love between two people and that sometimes can feel like, well, then what's the difference? And I think there is a difference and that is the the boundaries that you put in place between the two of you that make it a coaching relationship. And those boundaries will vary from each coach to each client. And and every coach needs to understand what are my boundaries? Where am I prepared to to draw the lines to have this remembering that this is a coaching relationship? And so for some people that is that they will not speak to their client other than in their coaching time in the coaching session. So they don't have access to their mobile phone, let's say, just to email. I don't have that. I People do have access to my mobile phone and I really enjoy it. And I guess I am, I don't contact people or really very often anyway at the weekend, let's say. That's my time. And so I often put my phone away and I'm not on it so much. Uh, I don't contact my clients independent of them coming into the space. Um, they come into the coaching space and we have a lovely coaching session and sometimes they might text and I might respond. I don't tend to reach out to them very often and ask them how their day's going or something. So there's, I guess, quite subtle sometimes and then quite formal other times ways that distinguish this relationship from another one. And I do believe things like keeping time in sessions. So making sure that it, this is just for me personally, but making sure the sessions have a start and an end time that the client can come to expect. Those kind of things help the client and me remember this is a particular type of relationship called coach and client. And I'll come back to the fact that it's all love at the end of the day for me. 
Mm. You won't be surprised to hear me say I I love that love. And I love that we can say in a in the coaching sphere, we can easily talk about love. Or oh, that's my experience so far, not having worked in somewhere like the London Business School or in a corporate setting where you may want to say unconditional positive regard. And I loved what you added there, warm positive regard. But I think love, again, I'm wondering if love is actually what connects all of this together, all of the interconnectedness that we talk about, that there is a, there is a love and that's okay. It's a professional with boundaries and we kind of know them because we because we we outline them or we we just know them through our work we just put them in place because for me i think as a coach and i think what you just said and i love that thing about time bound you especially we all know uh, from listening to episode 1 and also some of us from working with you you're very time bound it's very clear you know you finish on the hour and you begin on the hour so you're very good at that um i always give a, a 15 minute leeway on my sessions just in case because maybe because I'm not quite as experienced as you yet or but it's nice to have that but absolutely the hour 15 we we finish always uh, it has to be by then so actually I'd not thought about that as a boundary and that's good to know and good to hear and I think that weekend thing as well is really useful you've been really consistent with that through all the episodes now that you have times when you are not a coach to somebody you are Katie as as a wonderful mother, wife, or you know, and there isn't that overlay. So I'm glad that I brought that up and you kind of made it clearer for us, but also allowed us there's that thing in a therapeutic setting, which I do think is important for lots of reasons. We won't go into that here. There's a very, very clear, clear boundary, but it can feel sometimes cold and hard um as a as someone who's in therapy, say, or in that session. We don't so much have that boundary as coaches. In fact, some of our stories are incredibly useful for the people we're working with. And very often, because we often end up coaching people just like us, um, spoiler alert, we end up, I think Robbie said once, spoiler alert, the best, the best our best clients are just like us. And, um, yeah. and I think that's really, that does seem to be um, emerging as something that's absolutely true for me and for lots of the coaches in my my supervision group as well. So it's it is different and it's nice to know that there are also boundaries and that we can dance in a way that we want to, really, as long as we're professional and we have that that mindset and we have it very clear that we're not actually just going to suddenly be best buddies. And I think um, it's really great for coaches to really become aware with their supervisor or any of their colleagues or just on their own, but to become aware what those tiny little boundaries all the big boundaries what what they are because that will emerge as people grow in their coaching and as the years and the months roll by they'll start to realize oh yeah I do this and it's really important that I do that because that for me is a clear boundary and oh I do this and and sometimes they'll go they'll cross a boundary let's say they'll do something that doesn't quite feel right and then they'll realize they're feeling a bit resentful which is often a telltale emotion for a boundary being crossed and then they'll pull back and think, oh, that's because I did this. And so I do think what makes it a coaching relationship, which for me are the boundaries, and is a really, really important thing for us coaches to rumble with, re reckon with ourselves, 
And then when we're clear on them, it means that we can be explicit with those as many as we want to of those with the client when we start out, which just helps to reinforce the whole thing. The more like like in a parent child relationship, I guess, the more those boundaries are understood and understood implicitly and explicitly, the more that they are, the safer I think a person feels in that space. And the safer they are, the more that love can flow freely because it's in a really safe space yeah I love that 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 comparison as well to parenting it's true but also I was thinking just as you started to say about parenting I was remembering um how usually in supervision it so often the the difficulty that you might be facing with your client comes back to contracting um yes it does and all that goes back to why supervision is so important that you were saying earlier about that noticing and that learning and and being able to use that space to reflect also is around learning where the boundaries are as a coach. So thank you for that. That was a great Yeah, answer. good point. I think I'm going to completely change tack. Um, we've got a little bit of time left. And I do remember that there was another question that came about fees. In episode one, you talked a lot with Robbie about uh, your fees, which were really clear. And that was a really great and useful conversation for loads of coaches I know. Um, I know that you have since um, raised the fees since five years ago. Uh, you had a discussion in episode one, which you haven't listened back to and listeners may not know, where you were really happy with and actually someone had coached you around raising your fees and was very keen for you to raise your fees. And you had realised in that moment how firm and how firm you were in your happiness that actually, you know, this is perfect. Um, I don't need to charge anymore. I have enough income. There's no resentment. You were just saying is a really good uh, signal. Um, but you have since raised them and it has been five years and it was way before that since you last raised any, any prices. Um, so the question is around, I think it's, it was around, especially how you manage that with your current clients what your thinking was around it, why you chose to to change the price, and then how you've um, introduced that into your, you know, new clients and the, the whole community, coaches community that you work in. I love this question, Joey, because it's such a, it, it's such an important topic to talk about openly, I think, um, and to have a, a breadth of different approaches for, because often English people, I'm saying English consciously, but English people don't tend to talk about money and earnings. And I think that in this new profession, it's really important that we do. I probably said all of that in in the first um, podcast, but I, I really believe it is important to share the information if you're comfortable to, and I am comfortable to. So I... Um, so I raised my fees. So if anyone remembers, I used to charge £300 monthly, which more or less broke down to every session, our session being £100. And I now charge £360 monthly. So every hour session is £120. And I raised my prices a little bit more than that at one point just to see how that felt. And it didn't feel so good. So I landed then on 360 a month. And as you noted, check in with myself on my dog walks about whether I feel any resentment around that. I feel no such thing. I feel very grateful and very respected and happy with £360 a month or £120 per hour session. Um, 
So it feels like a great number. I raised the fees because, well, for two reasons, because, no, three reasons. Uh, one was because um, inflation and cost of living increasing. So it felt appropriate to raise my income in, I'm not saying it's in line with that, but it felt appropriate to move it up. Secondly, my husband hasn't been working for the last year and a half. And prior to that was was not so stable. So it became more important that I raised my income a little to manage the fact that I was now the main breadwinner and other sole breadwinner. So that became important for the household. And then also, and this is important, it shouldn't necessarily be the third thing, I always want to to show other coaches that I charge what I feel I'm worth and that I'm really comfortable with that. And I did have quite a few coaches saying to me, well, I can't charge more than £100 an hour because you charge £100 an hour and I couldn't possibly charge more than that. And of course, I would say to them, no, pricing is independent, it's individual. You want to feel where you feel comfortable and for the clientele that you're working with and with the experience that you're bringing. So I hope I made people understand that, in my opinion, it's all individual. And yet there was a part of me that felt like I wanted to raise my prices for those reasons that I've said, but also because I didn't want to hold other coaches back to keeping their prices lower than 100, let's say. I wouldn't have done it on its own for that reason, but I was pleased to to raise my prices for that reason too. So that's where I've landed. Then to answer your other questions, um, I've always had this philosophy that people that came into my practice at £100 an hour get to stick at £100 an hour. Um, a few people from a long time ago were paying less than that and they have stuck at that if they come back and work with me for a, a session here or there. So some older clients who come back get to keep their old fee rate um, new clients coming in, therefore. So then I never had to have a conversation with anyone about the fact that I put the fees up because I never have put the fees up for an individual. Just a new person coming in, the new fee is 360 a month, and that's that. Um, so that has been a very, I mean, this is three years ago, but that was a very smooth transition. I think two years, two, three years ago. It, it's been a smooth transition for me and easy, and I feel really comfortable as ever with where I am at it but it was an interesting learning to put it up too high I put it up to 150 an hour um for a bit and it just I noticed that it was putting I mean it was probably only three or four people I worked with at that rate but they were mentioning the fee in our sessions and oh and mentioning the fact that oh we've only got 20 minutes left and um that that costs a lot and it was also true that they were saying oh, I'd love to refer you to my friend but I know she couldn't afford you and just got this feeling it wasn't a great deal of people that I was gathering this data from but I did get this feeling of ah, this is starting to do what I never wanted it to do and create a kind of elite that can afford me and it's starting to put a pressure on the coaching space itself people are thinking about the money as we're in the conversation and those things are what I never wanted to happen so it's these sound they're, they're small differences, 150 to 120, but they tend they seem to make a difference for people. Actually, I'm I'm not sure 120 to 150 when you're talking about that pretty much on a weekly basis. That's a sure. that's a big difference for a lot of people, and it is a huge investment. Often coaching, um, and I'm really interested to hear about what you say about noticing in your clients the change in pressure that you were feeling it you were at, not even feeling it you were 
hearing it in words yeah. from them that they were hearing the pounds drop. I mean, I know from, for example, if you're talking to a solicitor, you can like you can hear the pounds dropping, can't you? And it it adds a, a really, un, I guess, unnecessary but actually unhelpful pressure to the the situation. So you can't ease in to the work and do the best quality job. So I'm really interested in hearing you say that. And also those those different factors that came together, you know, amalgamated together to help you with that learning of of putting them up and then bringing them down and, and easing into something that you were comfortable in. And it's lovely um, to hear you, actually, Katie, having gone through that transition, hit feeling feeling settled now because I've done something similar actually I talk about it in my interview you know I, although the price different difference actually wasn't that much um I actually went down in my prices and now I feel yes much steadier about it unsettled and it feels fair and I'm really I think you are too I think we both have a something around coaching is such an important space to have for people it's we talked about you know the more comfortable you are in your own skin I mean coaching is a wonderful way to support people to be able to come back to themselves and feel more comfortable in their own skin and so therefore we want it to be accessible really accessible for to help whole communities transform and you can't do that if you're charging money that they can't afford to pay um Mm. And also that piece you said about, oh, my friend would love to work with you, but I know she can't afford you. That's mm. a, that I've had that myself too, even at, at sixty pounds for a session. Um, mm. And that is that that's the truth. That is how it is for lots of people. So yes. so thank you for answering that. And I know you're totally right about talking about fees. It seems a, a really almost kind of squirmy, awkward thing. <laughs> England, yes, but I think everywhere, but especially in coaching, it's this like everything's veiled and coaches see, uh, prices for coaching seem to change all over the place and no one's really sure what's going on when. So I think these frank conversations are really important and worth saying twice because you did say it in episode one, you're right. Yes, I've kept the corporate fees the same just for what it's worth if people are interested in that. that um, I tend to work at 250 well, if it's a, a very small startup, maybe it's 150 an hour. It maybe it's 200 an hour. But for big organisations, it tends to be 250 an hour. Um, but there is a funny story that I could tell, actually, that I um, I went, I was asked to go and speak to a, a big law firm in the city uh, because they were looking for a coach that had my background. And so they uh, asked, they said that they'd like to bring me onto their books and they asked me my what I charge hourly and I said 250 <laughs> and the lady really fell off her chair and um and laughed and said I'm I'm actually going to stop you there just there um we we start at 360 an hour so I'm going to pretend that you said 360 and just write that down and and I burst out laughing and um and we carried on the conversation <laughs> so again not wanting to hold coaches back to any particular um any particular fee around corporate work at all because there are places like that who start at 360 pounds per hour i personally enjoy 250 pounds an hour at a corporate rate and one of the reasons i enjoy that is i have noticed that the corporate will then invest in it being a six-month program which i love 
three months is quite common, but I love it when the company say, okay, at that rate, we can go six months. And I love that they can sometimes mean that it's more frequent, which, uh, as I've said before, I really enjoy more frequent work with a client to build up more momentum and focus. So that that rate, um, which is, of course, I believe a very high rate and great in terms of earning, also means that I get to work in a in a more valuable way with each client I think so in case that's useful I thought I'd add that in yeah I think it is it's double double the value that keeping your prices to where you're happy at and coming up to this kind of negotiating space where you can actually have the longevity of time and then bring about the value that you want to the that's right creating that positive change yeah Yeah, exactly really glad you told that thank you Katie for adding that in we are almost at the end of our time and there is a little thing that I'm not sure how many people are going to think they're interested anyway to start with. But I know something that we have in common is singing. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and and um, uh, I'm going to say this anyway, Katie, even though I haven't checked with you first, but there is another podcast that you have been on, a third already, <laughs> although I'm not going to count it because this is number three, you and me, on on the Coach's Journey podcast. But you did a podcast with Joss Stone, which I had a good giggle at listening. You said I would giggle and I did. It's brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And she is a singer. And so she is interested in your musical background. And I had no idea because I know you sing and we have sometimes sung because I also sing. Um, Just for listeners, not that Katie and I sing together, but we have spoken about coaching on a number of about singing while we're coaching on a number of occasions and happen to have been singing at the same time, which has been lovely. Um, And uh, I didn't know you came from a musical family. That was really lovely to hear. And that you use singing. It it almost felt like, and I haven't listened to it again, that part, but what I've taken from it is you use singing in a way that brings you such joy and pleasure and fun and also gives joy and pleasure and fun to the people around you. And um, and I think I was really interested in this uh, singing and coaching and where you might draw any, if there are any threads that join the two practices, um, thinking about benefits and advantages and just things that singing might bring that coaching also brings and then I also, of course, want to bring in the creating positive impact, bringing about lovely changes by singing, by offering your beautiful voice. So for you and for those around you. Well, I can only really, well, I suppose there are many studies that show that singing is a healthy thing for people to do because it tends to raise people's well-being. Um, that being said, if singing, like for a lot of people, is not their cup of tea because it makes them feel anxious or nervous or they don't feel confident. Of course, it's not going to raise their well-being necessarily. So this is it's a very personal thing. But if it is something that somebody enjoys and feels good doing, then yeah, then it makes a person feel great. I guess for me, the the threads between coaching and singing are um in my value set. So I think as coaches, we often work with values and value elicitation exercises with our clients. Um, I do something very similar to Brené Brown and what she does, which is give a whole load of values words to a client and get the client to circle 
the top 20 that stand out to them and then narrow that down to the top 10 and then narrow that down to the top five that means something to them. And then I used to do that. What I then have learned from Brené Brown, thanks very much to her, is that she then goes down to uh, two. She asks her people she's working with to choose the top two. And I never used to do that. I now do do that. And I did that for myself because it, I realised I never remembered my values. Um, I could kind of guess what they were. But then I thought, I bet if I choose two, I'll be able to remember them. And then I'll be able to kind of live by them, express them more. So what links coaching for me with singing are my top two values, which I love and joy. And for me, they both express both of those two particularly singing for me is the joy and particularly coaching is love but those two activities in my life absolutely mean that I express I guess my essence because if I think about what values are I always imagine them to be a person's essence if you were to dilute them into liquid form or something or into uh, an elemental form it would be those those would be the elements of the person and I feel like if you were to dilute me into two elements it would be love and joy and therefore yeah those two activities which I spend my time doing are me living my values and therefore making me feel pretty good that would be the threads for me personally and not only do they make you feel pretty good I can vouch as one of your coaches and um, for this and I'm sure that people who are in the in your vicinity when you are singing also they get a little of that essence it goes in into them so they can they can enjoy it and think of the word joy in that enjoy they can enjoy it you know they really feel it and um, it's funny you should say that Joe because the last I did two concerts raising money uh, over the last six months and people uh, at the end of it did say oh, it was such a joyful evening. Two or three different people said that about those and that made me really smile inside because I thought oh, it's funny they chose that word. It's funny that that's what I'm expressing. I say that it it's me living those values and I feel great for it. I really feel that we need to start with ourselves, like with the good old oxygen mask on the plane. We do need to start with like, okay, what are my values? How do I express them? Oh yeah, here's coaching and here's singing. That allows me to express. And it sounds very selfish starting with what gives me those things. But like you're saying for me, if we are doing things, if we're living in a way that expresses those values, that's when other people around us our friends, our family, our clients, that's when they benefit too. You have to first start with checking what brings you that fulfilment that I think values do. And that's, I think, where the magic is happening about coaches creating impact in, I'm going for it, in the world, um, in the communities that even live in those Patagonian mountains behind you and live in the Himalayas in Nepal where I work and live in the villages near Brighton and, and near Limington where I have and everywhere. I think what we're really learning and beginning to embody, even though we live in England, um, is that we're knowing that we have to transform ourselves in order to really allow those positive changes to ripple out. I love that feels like a beautiful place doesn't it to end our conversation but there is one more show note I think I'm going to need to add 
you just talked about Brené Brown and the values on that sheet. And I'm wondering if you know where that resource might be accessible to people who are listening, because I loved that distilling down idea of the values. That was beautiful, Katie. And um, it would be lovely to look at Brené Brown's version of that. Do you know where it might be? I think if you Google Brené Brown Dare to Lead Values, I think it comes up as a PDF straight there. Amazing. We will put that in the show notes. Yes, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) I'll look it up. Oh, well, I think um, joy, fun, giggles, some. We got a little serious along the way. There's been loads in there. Thank you, Katie. Thank you again for all your time. Thank you. Chapter three. And um, (laughs) it, um, yeah. Actually, I'd say I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It has been a joy. I have absolutely loved it, Joey. Thank you so much for really thought-provoking questions. I hope it's been of value to coaches out there. I really love the podcast. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, you guys. It's really, really important to have a space where coaches honestly share their journeys and their philosophies and the the greater breadth of that the better I believe so I thank you to yourself for this lovely space and for Robbie for the podcast in general. Yes well you're most welcome for my contribution I have thoroughly enjoyed it it serves me too it's mutual and yes thank you Robbie the coaches journey community so far has been hugely beneficial and I think really contributes to the mycelium and Indrasnet and all those lovely shining things and the changes that we're talking about. Thank you, Katie. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Robbie here. I'm the founder and creator of The Coach's Journey. Um, and thanks so much for listening to this episode. I've just got a couple more things to, sh- to share with you before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. And, and those are ways to support The Coach's Journey. At The Coach's Journey, we really believe in the power of coaching, the hosts, the guests, and, and we believe it has an important role to play in creating the future potential of the world, in solving so many of the world's problems. And that's a big part of why we make this show, why we do the work we do. Um, we also do it because we love it. And so if, if you believe in that mission, or if you just love this show, and you want it to continue to grow, to reach more people, you might be interested in supporting the show in one of two ways. You might be interested in becoming a supporter of the show. That's where you pay a small amount of money each month in return for some benefits like being able to ask questions of future guests, knowing who's coming up, and general updates on the show. And you can find out loads about that at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney, plus there are links wherever you're listening to the show. Or if you'd be interested in that, but also being part of an amazing community of coaches, having me as your coach, then you might be interested in the Coaches Journey community. This is my flexible, affordable group coaching program for coaches. It's designed to help coaches create thriving businesses and thrive as they do it. Uh, the, depending on what level you join at, you'll come to up to 10 community calls each year. The chance, There'll be the opportunity to, to buy tickets for the, the, the annual in-person workshop. And if you join as a full member, you'll have the chance to have some one-to-one time with me too. You can find out loads about that at uh, thecoachesjourney.com slash community these community calls are some of the most magical times in my month so I really hope that I'll see you at one sometime soon um, find out again more about both at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney and loads about the Coaches Journey community including testimonials and a video of a community call at thecoachesjourney.com slash community hope to see you on a call sometime soon and of course hope to have you back listening to the show next time